going on OWS fam Hilo here bringing you the first installment of the off-season primer what we're going to do is cover what has changed who has come who has gone offensive or personnel changes defensive personnel changes coaching changes the whole nine what we're going to try and do is try and break down what we can expect for the first uh, couple of weeks of the season before the competition is really catching on so with that said, the first thing that we're going to do, and apologize, bear with me for this recording. I'm actually out in my car in the driveway outside my house because I don't know if you guys followed what was going on two days ago on my Twitter, but my uh, took the kids for a walk, came back home to a burst hot water line on my washing machine that was running. So came back to like an inch and a half, two inches of standing water on my downstairs floor. So that was awesome. Uh, got that sorted out, but the water recovery specialists uh, have left some heavy fans and equipment and stuff blowing in my house, so I don't have any anywhere inside to record uh, quite in a quiet space. So bear with me. Uh, it is Arizona summer right now. It's actually nice and cool at 96 degrees, but I'm trying to keep the air conditioning in the car uh, low to off so that doesn't mess with the recording. But bear with me as we work through this. For this one, uh, we're just going to go over the AFC East. We're going to take these. I'm going to try and keep these to about a half hour, and we're going to do division by division. We're going to start with the AFC East uh, and then move through the other divisions in the league and kind of break down what has changed, what to expect, and go from there. So that being said, we'll start with the Bills. What do we expect from the Bills? Well, the Bills didn't really have a lot of off-season changes. Um, we can expect them to be passing, passing, and passing some more uh, under Brian Dabble. Somehow, offensive coordinator Brian Dabble did not pick up a head coaching position. Uh, whether that was he wanted to stay for a hopeful title run or if he basically... I don't know what was going on, why he did not pick up a head coaching position, but he ended up staying as the offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills. And his offense is one of the most creative and dynamic in the league. Um, extremely adaptable, extremely adjustable, um, and customizable to the personnel that they have on their offense. What did they do on the offense this offseason? They brought in wide receiver Emmanuel Sanders uh, in free agency, who in the preseason was moving all over the formation. What does that mean to us? Well, that means that he's likely going to see the field a good deal. Um, so they had him playing bunch slot with Cole Beasley with two slot receivers on the field. They had him playing slot when Cole Beasley was not on the field when they're bringing Gabe Davis in, who, by the way, saw a pretty hefty snap rate. Uh, with the starters this preseason with Stefan Diggs being out. We'll talk about how I think that whole situation is going to play out here shortly. But Manuel Sanders moving all over the formation. He's playing out wide. He's playing in the slot. He's playing bunch slot. He's basically playing any wide receiver that suits uh, Brian Dabble's offense. And I, I'm kind of referring to him as the queen piece. Um, Brian Dabble is really having his... Uh, some fun moving him around the formation and seeing what kind of mismatches he can play from a very dynamic wide receiver in Emmanuel Sanders. Yes, he's 34 years old, but he's still got one of the shortest time off the lines in the entire NFL. 
um, and he's still able to create that separation. So he is going to be a valuable piece for that offense uh, for 2021. I talked about Cole Beasley. In the preseason, he played only slot snaps. That makes sense. Cole Beasley, yep, slot wide receiver, got it. Gabriel Davis, we talked about, he played only perimeter wide receiver. And what I, how I read into that situation is basically when Stefan Diggs is healthy, which he is expected to be for the beginning of the season, that is likely going to affect um, Gabriel Davis's snap rate the most. A couple of reasons for that. We talked about how Emmanuel Sanders is kind of that queen piece being able to be moved all around the formation. So where we're going to see Gabriel Davis is we're going to see Gabriel Davis coming in for Emmanuel Sanders um, and Stefan Diggs on the perimeter. Uh, and that's going to be dependent on a number of things, packages, um, as well as breathers, anything along those lines. And we're going to see, I think, Cole Beasley land in that similar snap rate to what we saw last season. You know, that 65 to 70 percent, sometimes 75 percent snap rate um, in a high uh, pass frequency offense. And then obviously, Stefan Diggs is that every snap player when healthy, who's going to be on the perimeter with uh, Gabriel Davis rotating in on the perimeter uh, for those spells that we talked about. So what does that mean from a fantasy value perspective? Obviously, Stefan Diggs is the penultimate piece of this offense in conjunction uh, you know, with the quarterback position. I really am high on Emmanuel Sanders if you haven't been following my uh, best ball content this offseason, but I'm really high on Emmanuel Sanders as that piece who we can expect Brian Dabble to kind of have some fun with here. Um, and then I really don't expect much to change for Cole Beasley. He's going to have those spike weeks where, you know, Brian Dabble has mended the offense and, and flexed things around to exploit matchups. And, and that's where Cole Beasley is going to really thrive. You know, he had three or four weeks last season where he spiked up upwards of 25 plus fantasy points. Uh, so kind of the same thing with him. And then Gabriel Davis really honestly, in my opinion, is going to take an injury to either Emmanuel Sanders or Stefan Diggs to see any true utility. And he is gaining increasing buzz this offseason as a, a fantasy sleeper, a fantasy darling. And I just don't see it happening based on what we saw in the preseason. The backfield, nothing has changed there. Still have Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. Uh Best ballers all offseason trying to figure out who is the beneficiary there. I think the answer is neither. I think the answer is Josh Allen. He's likely going to snipe, you know, six to eight rushing touchdowns this season from the backfield. Uh, and there's just really no clear victor between that battle. They're pro- likely going to be used in a similar fashion to last year with Devin Singletary, primarily that change of pace and third down back and Zach Moss, that short yardage. Um, and uh, first and second down back. With Buffalo, uh, they somewhat quietly have a top 10 defensive unit. They have locked down corner Tredavious White, who is obviously amongst the best in the league. They use him in shadow depending on matchups, and they use him on sides. Just depends on matchups and their defensive game plan. Opposing corner Levi Wallace is a six-foot I, I call him a position corner in that he has four six three forty speed, uh, so not a blazer, um, and typically is a body position and positioning overall 
uh, defensive player. So that is somebody that opposing offenses had attacked pretty rigorously in the past. And then nickel corner Taron Johnson, uh, kind of the same thing. He allowed 64 receptions in coverage in 2020, which was ninth most in the league. So obviously we, that makes sense with the pressure that the Buffalo Bills offense is putting on the opposition. Uh, it leads to increased pass rates against, which uh, obviously those passes are primarily going to go away from Tredavious White. Uh, so Levi Wallace and uh, Nickel Taron Johnson, they are nickel corner Taron Johnson. They're not scrubs by any sense of the word. Um, but they are attackable uh, as a kind of point of least resistance in this defense. Uh, Buffalo in 2020 ranked 11th in situation neutral pace of play and 11th in pass play rate, situation neutral pass play rate. Uh, I could expect that to remain somewhat constant and maybe even increase. Uh, I expect them to be somewhere around the top five in situation neutral pass play rate this season. Uh, they averaged 24.5 rushes per game in 2020, and that's unlikely to drastically increase. And that is honestly more a nod to just their overall offensive play volume as it um, that ranked in the bottom half of the league. Um, Buffalo ranked middle of the league in rush touchdowns per game in 2020 at 0.9 per game, which was 19th overall. And again, like we talked about, uh, you know, half of those are coming from uh, the quarterback position. Uh, as opposed to the running backs. Overall, with this team, I expect the offense to remain largely the same. Obviously, the exception being that they added Emmanuel Sanders to the wide receiver room. That queen chess piece, like I talked about earlier, um, who Dabble is moving around to exploit any potential matchups. Um, like we talked about, he was used in double slot, bunch formations, and various other unique looks in the preseason. All right, so that's what I expect out of Buffalo moving forward. For Let's move over to the Miami Dolphins, who, confusing, or at least confusing to me, have a offensive, quarter by, offensive coordinator by committee this season. Uh, so they've got two offensive coordinators, um, and those are going to be probably uh, working in close conjunction uh, with the head coach to Lord knows what. So that's a unique situation. I've never really seen that before, but um, basically I can expect this, uh, this offense to be heavily influenced um, by their head coach, Brian Florence Flores. Uh, they have a top five defense for 2021 on paper. Um, their weakness is up front with generating pressure, but that is kind of mitigated or masked by the fact that Brian Flores is really a defensive mastermind. He brings dynamic pressures, off-edge rushes, weak side delayed pressure, false fronts, linebackers, nickels, uh, at the line of scrimmage, dropping in coverage, pretty much any uh, any kind of gadget packages that you can think of. Brian Flores is integrating those on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, they have a top five secondary, um, and which is finally healthy, and I expect them um, to really the overall finish of this defense is going to depend on the amount of pressure that they're going to generate. Um, we saw last year their offensive line was ranked in the bottom five. That is going to continue for this year. Uh, they have a 25th ranked situation neutral pace of play. That's likely to continue under Brian Flores again. Um, and that bottom five run blocking offensive line is going to be an issue. So that's going to lead to increased pass play rates from the Dolphins 
Um, and we kind of saw a little bit of that carryover into other metrics from the Dolphins last season, namely their drive success rate. They were 24th ranked in drive success rate in 2020. Uh, look for that to increase a little bit. I expect them to be a little bit more uh, middle of the pack as Tua takes steps forward and with the additions that they added to the wide receiver room. They added Jalen Waddle in the draft. They added Will Fuller in free agency, who is going to be suspended for the first game of the season. Uh, but those are in addition to the possession-type role wide receiver Devontae Parker and then obviously the burner Albert Wilson. They added Malcolm Brown in the backfield to join Miles Gaskin and Salvin Ahmed. Um, there was a little bit of confusing preseason usage among those running backs, namely Gaskin taking a back seat. Uh, to Malcolm Brown in the first preseason game. That kind of flipped on its head in the second preseason game. And then the third preseason game, we didn't see much change there. Uh, but overall, I expect Gaskin to still be the lead back here in this backfield, expecting somewhere between the 60 to 65% snap rate player. He is a complete back like we saw last season, capable of filling all three downs uh, and that role and uh, extremely adept in the pass game. So one of his strengths is the ball in his hands uh, through the air. I expect Salvin Ahmed to be the primary um, change of pace back for uh, Miles Gaskin. And I expect Gaskin to be the primary third down back. Um, it's possible, I don't know how likely, but it is possible Malcolm Brown starts the season as the goal line back. Um, otherwise, I'm not entirely sure what they brought him in for because he's just not good uh so i'll just throw that out there into the multiverse uh tua has really looked to be a new man he's playing with confidence this preseason they were talking about it in camp kind of showcasing his arm strength and downfield uh chops and acumen um, I expect Devontae Parker to continue to fulfill that kind of possession style. You know, think uh, DeAndre Hopkins, how he's being utilized, or um, A.J. Brown over the last three years of his career. Uh, that kind of possession wide receiver role, moving the chains, working short intermediate stuff. Will Fuller now has been brought in to kind of stretch defenses vertically. Um, and then obviously Jalen Waddell uh, is also capable of stretching a defense uh, vertically as well. I expect uh, the I expect basically this wide receiver room to start the season with Devontae Parker and Will Fuller as the starters, um, and then Jalen Waddle and Albert Wilson kind of working in to that wide receiver three role, um, and it's likely to start with them kind of sharing snaps. Um, possibility of Jalen Waddle to work perimeter uh, for the first game. I'm not sure how they're going to handle that, uh, whether they're going to uh, throw Jalen Waddle out onto the perimeter in an unnatural position in his first game in the NFL. So that remains to be seen, kind of staying away from that situation for week one. Uh, and what that'll do with the with now Will Fuller and Jalen Waddle, and then in addition to Albert Wilson, these burners uh, on the outside and out of the slot, that's going to really open up the middle of the field for Mike Kosicki uh, and expect him to own the short to intermediate middle of the field. Um, the problem with Gesicki that I kind of uncovered as I'm getting into this stuff is he went the entire 2019 and entire 2020 seasons without breaking a single tackle. And that actually blew my mind. Um, so with the kind of physical specimen that he is, 
not really utilizing it to a full potential in the open field, which is a little bit of an issue for me in best ball. And it's going to create a situation for DFS where really the only time that we're going to be wanting to be targeting Mike Kosicki is if the matchup is a plus and we expect increased pass volume because he's not creating much on his own. For the... I guess finishing up the offense for Miami, they're ranked middle of the pack at 59% situation neutral pass play rate in 2020, 56% on first and second down, which was also middle of the pack. Really the big thing for this offense, and I think that is is going to be a reason why they take a step forward, is going to be Tua. So they have a bottom five offensive line, and that's run blocking grades projected for 2021 by PFF. Uh, so I expect the Dolphins to continue struggling to run the football. So that drive success rate and how they're going to be able to sustain drives is going to be highly dependent on how big of a step forward Tua takes in his career progression. So if he's showing improvement attacking the intermediate to deep areas of the field, um, this team, this offense is going to be on the field for a little bit longer, and that's going to put a little less stress on their defense. We talked about how they have to organically manufacture pressure rates because they're not getting to the corner, uh, the into the backfield against the quarterback of the opposition unless they're uh, designing these scheme blitzes. So I think that's really going to help out that defense, and it's going to make them appear from a metrics and numbers standpoint much better on paper than last year. And I think it's just going to be a fact of Miami's offense not putting as much pressure on the defense with respect to time of possession and all that good stuff. Based on the direction that Miami went this offseason through the draft and free agency, we can expect that increase to pass play rates, um, similar to what we saw, but I expect a little bit of a bump even to those situation neutral pass play rates from 2020. Uh, That'll wrap Miami. Now we'll move over to the Patriots. Patriots, obviously the big story, Mac Jones season, Cam Newton was released, yada, 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 all the kind of additional theatrics that went with that. But Mac Jones is your starter for the New England Patriots um, as a rookie. The Patriots overall have a top five offensive line. They added Trent Brown in the offseason. They have a defense that is healthy again. And primarily the defense was not healthy in 2020 because of the multitude of holdouts that they had, the COVID holdouts. Um, So they're returning a lot of normal starters to that defense and they are looking healthy for 2020. So I expect them to be a top five defense again for 2021. So what we have a top five offensive line, a top five defense, you kind of know what's coming here and a rookie quarterback. So you kind of know what's coming here. I expect elevated rush rates, Everyone's going to be talking about, oh, Cam is out, Mac is in, we can expect them to pass more. I don't think that's going to be the case moving forward. Just kind of the composition of this team and how Bill Belichick is going to manage games. I think they're still going to have elevated rush rates. We obviously saw Sonny Michelle dealt to the Rams uh, about a week ago. So that's going to really open the door for Damian Harris to see, you know, 240, 250 plus rushes uh, this season as the primary ball toter. Ramondre Stevenson, they added in the draft. Um, He profiles primarily as the goal line back. So we'll see how that kind of situation affects Sony, or sorry, not Sony Michelle, uh, Damian Harris's touchdown totals. uh, Because 
from a prototypical goal line back and and what that looks like from a player's perspective, Ramon J. Stevenson fits that role physically better than Damian Harris does. We have to see over the first you know couple three weeks of the season how that's going to play out. Uh, but I expect heavy volume for Damian Harris, you know, hitting that 240 to 250 rushes uh, total over the course of the season this year. James White is healthy again, and now he is, you know, put in a position where th- he is the only third down back, you know, the skill set in that running back room uh, who fills that third down role. Uh you know, they got rid of kind of trim the fat a little bit in that running back room. So I expect kind of just those three primary backs out of the backfield, Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, and then James White. Now you think of they have a top five offensive line, they have a good defense, and they have a rookie quarterback. Well, how's that going to affect James White? Well, I think he's going to have a plus year uh, or a bounce back year, we should say, from 2020. Um, and he's going to be back to his 2019 and earlier days with Bill Belichick, where he is racking up receptions um, and he's going to be on the field for majority of the third downs here this season. Uh, they obviously other big uh, free agency additions. They added Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry, both in free agency. It's kind of a, a throwback to the Aaron Hernandez and Gronk days um, with two really complete tight ends. You know, Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry are both capable of staying in the trenches uh, in heavy formations, they're both capable pass catchers. So these are two complete tight ends uh, who are going to be utilized heavily this season together uh, on the field together. I think we're going to see elevated 12 personnel with both of them on the field at the same time. And I think that shift in offensive philosophy uh, is going to be based on the personnel available. And I think we're going to see a hit to 11 personnel and we're going to see a hit to um, 21 personnel with two running backs on the field. So look for increased 12 personnel rates with both Jonu and Hunter Henry on the field together. That's going to leave the primary wide receivers for this offense as Jacoby Myers and Nelson Aguilar. Nelson Aguilar is a burner downfield threat. He was really running nothing but goes in the preseason, uh, literally like start go 100 miles an hour and or 100% full bore and run in a straight line. <laughs> so um, when we compare that to the strengths of their starting quarterback in Mac Jones, who is his strengths are timing and vision. So like kind of prototypical, like rookie Tom Brady, uh, which is kind of interesting that they went that direction. But it, it's really like this is like the second coming of Tom Brady in New England. He is uh, a timing quarterback, a vision quarterback. He doesn't have the greatest arm. So you think like Tom Brady coming into the league 20 years ago, this is what we're going to expect out of Mac Jones. So how does that gel with a wide receiver in Nelson Aguilar who runs 23 miles per hour uh, at top speed with the ball in hands and ran nothing but goes in the preseason? Uh, that's going to lead to two to four targets a game, something in that range, you know, maybe three to five. But he's not going to be this guy who's soaking up targets comparatively now looking at um, Jacoby Myers, who is that guy. There was a lot of buzz uh, on the Twitter sphere about Jacoby Myers taking a hit with Cam Newton, no longer the starting quarterback. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think it's probably a neutral for Jacoby Myers and a plus to the tight ends in Jonu and Hunter Henry. 
and a neutral for Nelson Aguilar. Uh, and that again is directly related to the strengths of Mac Jones. Uh, so Jacoby Myers, I expect to be all, you know, landing in that seven to nine target range on a standard week. I expect Jonu Smith to lead the snap rate between the two tight ends. Uh, so that's going to leave him probably in the weekly five to seven target range. And then Hunter Henry is probably going to be in that four to six uh, weekly target range for a standard week. I expect this team to run the football. I expect them to, when they do pass, to be short, intermediate, crossing, picks, stuff like that, uh, where it's more timing uh, with their rookie quarterback. The Patriots in 2020 ranked 31st in the NFL in situation neutral pass rate at 49%, and that dropped to 46% on first and second downs. We might see a slight bump to that because obviously that was highly induced by the offense that they designed around Cam Newton. Um, but again, we talked about you know the strengths of Mac Jones being a rookie, all that. It's probably going to lead to the Patriots being, again, bottom five in the NFL in situation neutral pass play rate. In 2020, that pass play rate led to 27 and a half pass plays per game with Cam Newton at quarterback. Uh, I'd expect them to land in the somewhere between 30 to 31 range uh, with likely added possessions. I say added possessions because of the, you know, return to strength of that defense. So probably going to get a, you know, one, 1 1.2 additional possessions per game, which is going to lead to maybe three to four additional pass plays per game. Uh, and that will do it for New England. Finally, let's finish up um, the AFC East with the Jets, uh, who are probably one of the biggest transformations this offseason. Obviously, they finally get out of the cloud that was Adam Gase and his whole operation. Basically cleaned house with the coaches. They brought in Robert Sala as the head coach, who comes over from San Francisco as their defensive coordinator. Extremely likable coach from the players. He's a player's coach. Uh, he's well-liked. He typically gets the most from his players. Uh, you're not going to see any attitude issues, any effort issues out of the Jets this year like we saw last year. It's going to be pretty much night and day from, a, from an effort uh, standpoint, in my opinion, with Robert Sala coming in. The... Promoted Mike LaFleur to offensive coordinator who was promoted from pass coordinator. Obviously, he comes from the Kyle Shanahan coaching tree, as did his brother, uh, Packers head coach, uh, Matt LaFleur. We can expect kind of that offense to be a tailored West Coast offense coming from that tree. What does that mean? That means outside zone run schemes, elevated play action rates, uh, an offense built tailored to his offensive personnel available. So that's going to maximize their strengths as opposed to, you know, talking about Adam Gase, uh, who is going to force his system on his players. Uh, we saw how that kind of turned out last year. They added Corey Davis through free agency. They added Keelan Cole, two wide receivers in free agency. And then they went out and drafted Elijah Moore with one of their top draft picks. Um, so bringing in some talent in the wide receiver room. We're going to have a little bit of a headache of a backfield. Uh, there's really four names where we really don't have a clear picture of how their usage is going to be broken down. Uh, they brought in Tevin Coleman. So they have Tevin Coleman. They kept LaMichael Pirine. They 
have Ty Johnson, and then they drafted rookie Michael Carter. So there's really no sense in projecting how the snap rates or the touches are going to break down. But if we look at the preseason, Tevin Coleman played with the starters. Ty Johnson had the best preseason. He was dynamic. He was breaking tackles. He was putting his nose down, getting those dirty yards. Um, And Michael Carter kind of took a back seat where a lot of early best ball drafters kind of expected him to take over this backfield. So I'd expect coming out of the gate to see a one-two punch between Tevin Coleman and Ty Johnson with likely Tevin Coleman being a... um, first and second down and between the twenties running back, Ty Johnson being the goal line back and uh, the short yardage back, and then possibly filling that third down role. Michael Carter is the likeliest other player to fill that third down role. Uh, But again, this, this backfield has an extremely wide range of outcomes where we really don't have much to read on here. Other offseason transactions, they recently dealt Chris Herndon to, or the ghost of Chris Herndon, should I say, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, to Minnesota prior to final cuts, obviously, um, with the injury to Irv Smith, uh, they brought in Chris Herndon that leaves only Tyler Croft and Trevon Wesco at tight end. So I'd expect Tyler Croft to be one of the higher snap rate tight ends this season. If he stays healthy, um, on the other side of that coin, and this could be a nod to, Adam Gase's offense, or it could be a nod to the personnel available. But in 2020, uh, they targeted the wide receivers um, at an extremely high rate. And based on the personnel that they have this season, again, you know, we talk about the addition of Corey Davis, Keelan Cole, Elijah Moore. Um, They still have, um, oh, Jesus. Sorry, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Jameson Crowder, sick, I got it. Uh, They still have Jameson Crowder in that slot. I'd expect Elijah Moore to see um, probably start off the season not as an every-down player. Obviously, he's best suited for that slot role. They might throw him outside uh, in two wide receiver sets just if they have a certain package uh, to utilize his speed and the ball in his hands in space. Uh, but we'll have to see how that plays out early in the season. I'd expect primary receivers to be Corey Davis and Keelan Cole on the perimeter um, to start the year. And we'll see how some of the holdover wide receivers kind of fit into that as well. Uh, But that's kind of what I expect moving forward, particularly with this new um, coaching unit kind of going out and getting their guys in free agency. Uh, We talked about the elevated wide receiver target rate. 70.5% of the targets uh, on this offense in 2020 went to the wide receivers. That was third most in the NFL. So I'd expect that to drop a little bit, but you think about the the personnel available. You know, we talked about the tight end room basically just being Tyler Croft. Um, Not known for being the most dynamic pass catcher. uh, Not known for breaking tackles in the open field. Um, So... I'd expect the Jets to once again be top five-ish in wide receiver target rate in this offense. But really, this offense is going to be designed to get the ball into its playmaker's hands in space. Um, And again, that comes from Mike LaFleur and that Kyle Shanahan coaching tree, that West Coast spread offense, uh, trying to create space put stress on a defense both vertically and horizontally. And that basically how they're going to do that, obviously the dynamic zone run scheme 
which is going to open up the interior of the defense, heavy play action rates, and then uh, possible quarterback motions in the backfield as well. Um, defensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, Jeff Ulbrich, who comes over from Atlanta, who was their linebackers coach. Just an interesting thing as I was working through, you know, this, this piece for y'all is the amount of defensive coaches from Atlanta last year that picked up coordinator gigs this year, uh, which is kind of counterintuitive because Atlanta was a bottom of the barrel uh, defense last year. I just found that interesting. Uh, nothing really else to say there. Uh, but I expect the Jets, their strength, <coughs> excuse me, their strength from a personnel standpoint was their front seven. Their pass rush, their ability to clog the inside of the run lanes. Um, and we've already seen two injuries uh, along the, that front seven. So what that is likely going to do um, is going to expose their suspect secondary you know they their secondary on paper is probably a bottom eight maybe bottom five unit uh on paper just from a personnel standpoint and really they i was looking for them to to mask that and hide that with the addition of their head coach obviously robert sala who comes over from san francisco you get in those uh defensive philosophies um those dynamic zone uh coverages and that dynamic uh, blitz packages, um, which I was expecting out of the Jets. And I also thought that they would be able to generate um, organic pressure without uh, those different blitz packages. That might not be the case to start the season now with those injuries uh, along that defensive line and linebackers unit. Um, so that I think that's going to expose that secondary a little bit to start the year. And we might see uh, numerous chunk plays per week uh, that are given up by this defense because of it. Um, so something to keep an eye on in the first few weeks of the season, you know, targeting these intermediate to deep threats, uh, guys with speed uh, who can take advantage um, of this secondary. That is going to do it for the AFC East. Um, I will be covering, let's see, I'm going to try and record uh, the next division here in a little bit as well. We're going to move over to the AFC West, cover the Broncos, the Chiefs, the Raiders, and the Chargers. Uh, and we'll just keep taking these division by division. After the I get through all of these um, podcast recordings, uh, I will release this primer. I'm about three quarters of the way through it right now and about 4,000 words. So it's a lot more than I initially expected. Um, but I'm going to be trying to get through that, uh, I guess, the remainder of today as well as recording these other divisions. So uh, look for those here shortly. Um, I'll talk with Aaron, try and get this one posted as soon as possible so y'all can start listening to these primers and breakdowns. I'll see you shortly.